great to be here. Um, my wife and I serve on the eldership team here at Life Changes. We, we're normally at Century City, um, but it's nice to be at the mothership every now and again to get the, get the invite to come and, come and talk. So, <laughs> so good, good to be here. I may, um, there are many of you here that I wouldn't have hadn't met before. I just want to put a photo of my family behind me. That's my wife, Amy, our two boys, Zachary and Christopher. And we heard a couple of weeks ago that we've got another little, little bluey on the way. So uh, we were um, very, very sure it was going to be a girl, um, but we were told differently by the Ghani. Um, but we're very excited. Do you want Valentine's Day? If anybody wants to diarize that, that date. Um, but I'm looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning. I'm really going to keep, um, keep the structure and, and what I say quite simple this morning. I basically... I've got one, one story to tell this morning, I've got one scripture to read, and I've got one thought for you to take home. The Life Changes is big on, is big on three-point sermons, um, but I'm going to rather do three, three parts this morning, let's, let's call it that. But it's, it is going to be a challenging word, and we're going to need to confront God's word in terms of our current situation, our current country, our current climate, and see what God's word says And how do we move forward from that? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts and our minds up to you. Would you move us, shake us, and change us this morning? In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. The one story I want to tell this morning is about my friend Peter in Gaza. He's a a champion of a man. He's from Burundi. Um, He made his way down to South Africa a number of years ago to to find a better life for him and for his family. Um, He left his fiancée back in Burundi. And he came and, and tried to seek employment. Basically, he was, he was hustling. He was trying to work jobs, do what he can to support himself, and then save up enough money to send Violet down to South Africa. He worked for seven years um, and was eventually able to, to pay for a plane ticket for Violet to come down. And in 2020, there's a photo on the screen there, we married them in this venue. Um, Pre-COVID, but we married them at the back there. And it was a special day of celebrating Peter and Violet, celebrating their marriage. Um, but Peter, he's a, he's a foreign national living in South Africa, and, and things have not been easy for him. That's, that's probably an understatement. Things have been incredibly challenging for him. For those of you that may know, but to, to work and to get work permits as a foreign national in South Africa is not, is not an easy or a, or a straightforward process. And Peter, he managed to get a job as an Uber driver, and he had one document that basically had his whole life on it in terms of his, his identification, his work status, everything in here was in this one document. Um, driving his Uber gets stopped by, by a traffic officer. Um, the traffic officer asks him for identification, and Peter gives him this one document that he's got. The traffic officer looks at it, says, this isn't what I was looking for, and proceeds to tear it up in front of him. True, true story, this. Peter has got nowhere else to go. This is, that was his lifeblood. That was where, where he needed to be that's all that he had to, to seek all the work status that he needed to. Following that, the, the car he was driving, which he didn't own, was owned by somebody else, got impounded. He had to seek, try to find ways to get that car vehicle back. Peter has been through, he's been through a challenging time in our country. I remember getting a call from, from Violet, um, his wife, to say, um, I, we stuck Peter's very sick. I could literally hear him in the back, busy, busy, busy struggling, what felt like struggling for his life and what sounded like that. And we need to get him, we need to get him medical help. We need to get him to a doctor. They were staying in Delft at the time. And I, I said to Violet, um, is there not a clinic or a, a hospital close by? Can you not take Peter to that? And her response was, we can, but, but because we're foreigners in our country, we, we, will, we won't be shown equal treatment. So basically, we'll rather risk it where we are 
than to go to a hospital because they know they treat foreigners unfairly. As a church, we were able to get an ambulance there and we were able to, to get him through it. But Peter has been through a lot in our country. As an Uber driver, he has, he has picked up people that look like they want rides only for him to be hijacked in that process. It's happened several times. And often, often through violence and he's been stabbed. There's stories, stories for days. I remember um, checking my WhatsApp statuses the other day and seeing, and seeing his, um, he says, I just say, thank you, Lord, for saving my life. That was, that was his status update. And I've, that's not like everyone's status update. Normally, it's sort of pictures of kids and, and birthday parties. Um, but I phoned him to say, what's, what's up? What, what happened? And basically, he was driving. A taxi came past and, and clipped off um, his, his side mirror. And basically, the taxi stopped. He stopped. So he went out to go and talk to the taxi driver to hear what was happening, to which the taxi driver got out started shooting at him, and he basically fled into the bushes, hiding for his life, got back to his flat in Delft, locked himself up with his wife and his, his two-year-old baby, and that's, and that's how it goes. And I, I'm not sharing this story to, to try and shock you or to try and um, to try to do anything else other than life for many people living in our country is very, very challenging. And Peter's story, it may be even be hard to hear for some of us, but it's not, it's not unique. There are many people living in very challenging circumstances in our country. Mark mentioned the highest unemployment rate. We have a youth unemployment rate of 66%. That means six out of 10 of the youth who want to work, who are seeking employment, have not, are not able to find a job. We have the highest murder rate in the world. There is a lot going on in our country. And we're busy with a, a series called We the Church. We the church. And what does that mean in light of this story I just told you? What does, it, what does it mean for us to be the church in South Africa at this time? I want to talk this morning about social justice. What, what does it mean for us to be the church in a country with the highest crime rate in the world? Where between now and you heading home, wherever that is, walking, driving, you will probably see 20, 30, maybe 100 people that are in desperate need of help, if you take a chance to look. What, what does it mean? How, how do we respond? And I'm going to look at God's word in terms of what that looks like. How do, we, how do we process that? How do we digest that? So I want to read, that was my run story, and I'd like to read one scripture, which we're going to jump into. And maybe a, a PG, parental guidance, before I read the scripture. It's, go, it's going to be a hard one to hear. I, I'm, I'm sure of that. And, and I think in preparing for this message, in, in doing my work for this message, th there's a temptation to, to try and explain things away. When we read something in the Bible that, that is hard to hear, sometimes we just think, let's, let's explain it in such a way that it doesn't apply to us. And I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to let it sit. It's going to be uncomfortable, but let's let it sit. Let's let it sit with us. Let's stand before God's word in this beautiful country that we live in and ask God, where to from here? We're good. Great. Matthew 25, it says, When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty, this is Jesus, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort out the people, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father, Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. Here's why. I was hungry, 
and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me room. Me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep who are saying, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or feed you, thirsty or give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in person or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked and ignored, that was me. You did it for me. And then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes to eat. I was sick and in prison and you never visited me. Then the goats are going to say, uh, no, I'm joking. I just, <laughs> I've been practicing that all week. Anyway, anyway. The goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever meet or see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then the goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Your oh, that's big. Hey, everyone all right? We're still here. <laughs> I've been not too many people left um, while I was reading that. But really, it's a challenging word. And my wife and I, we were having supper. Um, we ate out the one night. Um, we were talking about the scripture. We were talking about sheep and goats. I think I happened to be eating a sheep at the time, but that's very much besides the point. Um, but we were talking about the scripture. And, and we left dinner. We paid for dinner. Um, we, we drove home. And we stopped at the robot, and, and a lady came up to the door, to the window, asking for money. And, and my wife said, we just read this. What should we do? What should we do? And I know my wife, when, when she's saying, what should we do, she's not meaning to say hi. She's, she's meaning, let's get in the car. We're taking you home, and you're going to come stay with us. And I, I didn't know what to say in that moment. I was like, I, I, I'm not sure what my response, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And the robot went green, and we drove off. So my intention this morning is not to make anybody feel guilty, because I'm, I'm the worst of it. My intention this morning is to say, how do we respond to a word like this? How do we marry God's word with our current situation? How do we marry God's word to say, God, this is what you say in your word, which is true and undeniable, and we live in South Africa. We live in South Africa. I'm not... I'm not blinded to what we, what we face out there. We live in a country that has unique challenges. And how do we bring those two things together? When I look at the scripture, it just starts so beautifully. It says, when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty, and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Jesus takes his place on his glorious throne, and he essentially judges the sheep and the goats. The first thing that's just so remarkable in that is that Jesus does the judging. Jesus does the judging. Jesus sits on his throne and judges. And I think in this, in this area with social justice, so often it's easy to fall into the trap, and I, I include myself very much in that, is that I put myself in as the judge. When I come across 
somebody that's in desperate need of help, so maybe somebody that's living on the street, maybe somebody that needs a warm meal, I, the first thing that I, can, that I often do is to judge them. I, I, I give an explanation to say, you probably here for this and this reasons in my head. This is, that situation has probably led you to where you are now. You are in prison, which is probably due to something that you did wrong. I, I justify the situation. I play, I play judge. And this word, this scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't give you that, that leeway in a sense. All it says to you is, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I needed something to drink, you gave me water. And the danger of us elevating ourselves into the role of a judge, it says in James 5 verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, with a capital J, is standing at the door. And it's almost like there's this, there's this door of judgments, you know, that, that we can choose whether or not we walk it through. If we decide to go through that door, if we decide to, that we're going to be judge and jury on people's lives about who we will and won't help, we are, as we open that door, the first face that we'll see is Jesus standing there, challenging us, saying, you are, you are not faultless in your judgment. There are issues that you have. There are concerns that there are in your life. Be careful that we don't judge too soon. Let's, in this area, in this, this vital space of social justice, let's leave the judging up to our King Jesus. And it says, then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right hand and goats to his left. I, I, I can only imagine what it would be like. At the, this is at the end of times. Jesus sitting there going, sheep, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, 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 sheep, sheep, goat. You know, as the people come in just to separate out and as the sheep, get to gather around, and as sheep get to congregate, more and more sheep develop, you could just imagine the sheep would have been quite a mixed bag. Eh? Probably little, little fat sheep, little thin sheep, with big noses, small noses, all the different, well, I don't know, there's probably many different types of sheep out there. I don't know, not a farmer. But the sheep would have looked probably a lot like this congregation, a lot like us sitting here today. And I think the challenge that I see in this word is that nobody is exempt from the scripture. As a believing community of Jesus, it is part of our mandate, it's part of our call to be people that care for the hurting and care for the lost. I, I must admit, I, also fall, I, I often fall into trap too, that somebody else should sort this out. Somebody else should do this. Those living in... Greenpoint, that all they do is walk on the promenade and sip cappuccinos. You know, they've got the time. They've got the energy. They've got the resources. They should be doing more to resolve this. The Lani's living in West Beach or wherever, you know. Oh, T.E., sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, but it's easy for us to say somebody else should be looking at this, not us. And that's where I'm so encouraged by, by my friend, my brother Peter, is I told you his story. You know, it hasn't been easy. And yet he's somebody who's filled with so much love and compassion and time for those around him. He gives of himself despite having gone through all of those circumstances. 
And we have a beautiful Burundi community at our, at our church at Century City, at Life Changes Century City. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, actually. As a new person comes and joins, and joins in their family, how they care and love for that person. The trip from Burundi to South Africa is it's often a long one. It takes many months. It's very dangerous for, for women traveling alone. And as that person lands in the country, they, they care and they love and they bring that person in to their community. And I can promise you, it's not because they have an extra bedroom. It's because of what God has done inside of them, and what God has called them to. Whatever end of that scale you're in, if you have the resources and the time, we need to give that. But there's no, there's no exemption here. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card here to say, because I don't have the resources or the time or the energy or whatever that reason is, that I don't get to be aware and help those around me. It's what we are all called to do as believers. And then it goes on to say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. And this is so, it's so tangible and so real. And I think the challenge for us in this moment is that Jesus is challenging us here is that it's about, it's about the one person, not necessarily about the masses. Because if we talk about, the, if we talk about 18 million people, True, true stat from 2022, 18 million people are living below the poverty line, which is 40 rand per person per day to live off that. South Africa has 18 million people living below that line. If we all spent every hour of every day to go and try and make that happen, address, talk to, help every single person living in poverty, we wouldn't even get close. And, but I don't think that's what the challenge is here. I think the challenge here is are you able to help that one person that God has called you to help and God has called you to minister to them? I remember um, many years ago in Pretoria, there's sort of on the east of Pretoria, there's a big rubbish dump. It's massive where basically all the building rubble, everybody goes to go, go drop off their, their rubbish there. And there's probably, I would estimate, probably a few thousand people that live on that, on that rubbish dump. That's where their home is. And they... They look for scrap metal. They look for whatever they can to try and, to try and make, a, make a life for themselves. And my dad and I, we used to go out there to drop off garden waste and whatever it is. And there was one, there was one person that I, that I met there, a champion of a man. His name's Solomon from Zimbabwe. And I, I met him on that rubbish dump. And we just became friends, basically. Whenever I'd go, I'd have a chat to him. We got into each other's lives. And he was, he was a beaut of a guy. And he eventually said, I think I need to head home. I need to go and just be with my family, take whatever resources I have and send them, send them back up to Zimbabwe. He got everything he, got, he could, including a, uh, there was this welding machine that, that was sort of, that's his prized possession. I mean, for those of you that know, that's not something you whip over your shoulder and take to Zimbabwe, you know. But he carried it up, took it back home with him to, to his family. And it went quiet. I didn't hear from him for a number of months. Um, and then about six months after that, I got a, I got a letter from his wife. And, and it said... Um, to let you know, and it includes some photos of the family, but to let you know that Solomon has passed away. He came home and he passed away. And it, it was just the news, and all she said was this. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your kindness. Hey, I mean, how, how beautiful is that? And it was a privilege for me to be a part of that story. And if I, honestly, if I try to chat to or befriend or just even just learn everyone's name on that rubbish dump, it, 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 things that it would never have happened would have fallen flat. 
But there was one person that I befriended that we got to know each other. And it was a, it, it was a privilege to be a part of his story. And I just think there's certain nuances or certain considerations in this passage that we need to think about. And that thing of that we are not called to judge. That we are called to minister to the one. And that nobody's exempt from this. That we're all in this together. And the thought that I want to leave you with as we go, as we go into our walks and into our lives and wherever we, we are heading after church today. It is this. It is this. I'm going to use an analogy, so stick with me. I'm going to, I'm going to take a detour and I'll, I'll bring you guys back. Don't worry. <laughs> I was in Kirstenbosch the other day um, and I went to the bathroom and I was, I was washing my hands. Um, and there's no mirrors in the bathrooms in Kirstenbosch. I don't know if anyone noticed that. It's a bit uncomfortable, eh? Huh? I mean... I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm used to washing my hands after the bathroom and just, you know, just checking everything's all right. You know? everything, is, um, everything is as I remember it. Um, and a mirror, a mirror is a, it's quite a cool thing. I'm sure many of you this morning would have looked in the mirror before you came. Maybe not Dave, but I mean everybody else. Maybe most, most, of, the, most, of, the, most of us here would have looked in the mirror before we came. But what do what, what does a mirror do? It, it, gives, it gives a reflection of the real thing. Eh? The, the image that you're seeing in that mirror, the physical image that you're seeing, is not the real thing. It's a reflection of the real thing. And I, I've got a picture behind you there. That's a, a picture of a swan landing on a lake with its reflection. And I mean, what's actually crazy about that is that, is that image is flipped around. So, so the reflection is on top. In the real image on the bottom. But, but sometimes the reflection of something is, is a very accurate picture of what is underneath. And I think if I'm trying to understand this message, if I'm trying to understand what Jesus is saying, what this challenging message is, because if I'm honest with myself, uh, this is a, it's too much to carry this. This is too much to carry in our country. I can't... I can't do it. We can't walk out here and every single person that we see, we have, we have this message in our, in our ringing in our minds because we, we can't carry it. But there is something incredibly profound of what God is saying here. And this is what I think it is. It's this. Our treatment of the hungry, thirsty, homeless, sick, and imprisoned, imprisoned reflects our hearts. It reflects our hearts. It reflects what's in there. Like a mirror is a perfect reflection of you standing there. Our attitude, our approach, our maybe at disdain at times, all of that is a reflection of what's actually inside. And if I, if I hear what Jesus is saying in this message, it's actually what he's actually saying is, the sheep, I see you, and I know I have your heart. I know I have your heart. And because I have your heart, you have helped the hungry, the thirsty, the destitute, the desperate, imprisoned. I have your heart, and if I have your heart, you cannot help but to do those things. Come, my children. And to the goats, I think he says, I haven't got your heart. I haven't got, I haven't got you. I haven't, you haven't given your life to me. 
And that just reflects itself in a very practical way of how we treat the poor around us. And be gone. And we just, in interpreting and understanding this, it's not through helping the poor that we are saved. It's not through social justice that we are saved. It's not through doing prison visits that we are saved. It's through giving our hearts to Jesus. But I would say too that as we are captivated by him, we can't help it. We can't help it. We, we can't help but to see somebody in need and feel moved by it, to have compassion. Not, not pity. I think pity is a bit easy. To, to pity somebody is you see somebody and you feel, shucks, that's bad. Compassion, the root of compassion is moved to action. You see Jesus had compassion. He saw and he was moved to action. And I think that's, that's what Jesus is saying. If I have your heart, if I have all of you, you will be moved to action will help those in desperate need because if i'm if i'm honest with myself i've got a i've got a lot of goat tendencies i do i do i think i'm a goat more more often than not this is a story about judgment at the end of day and if i if if i'm if i'm honest and i reflect before this scripture i feel convicted i feel convicted because i too often have written people off for my own for what suited me. I've too often discarded things. And it, it comes down to an issue of the heart to say, Jesus, have you captivated me completely? And if you do, I will go and run out and do all of these things. We're talking about we the church. Eh? We're talking about we the church, this beautiful gift called the church. And if I, if I dream of a church, if I dream of a local body that's one that he's so captivated by Jesus, so enthralled by Jesus, so, so consumed by Jesus, that we cannot help but to go out and be a blessing to our community and to help the poor and to help the needy and the destitute and those in desperate need. Because we know, we know deep down inside of us that we are needy. We are imprisoned. We are hungry. We are thirsty. We are in need of saving. And as we realize that Jesus saves us, we go and spread that to others. I wonder if we could stand. I want to I want to land this with a with a scripture. It's from Isaiah 58. The the message of Isaiah 58, the the heading of it actually says true worship true worship true worship and it says this is not this the fast that I chose some sometimes I say worship is this the worship that I chose to loose the bonds of injustice to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke is it not to share your bread with the hungry to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to kindle yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you, being Jesus. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Our light will break forth like the dawn. As we are consumed by our King, 
and we act out of that consumption. Act as his sheep. Followers of the judge, our king. That's beautiful. Let's worship together now. And Jesus, I pray for each of us. I pray for myself, first and foremost. I repent of the times where I've missed it, where I've discarded those who are needy because of my preferences, because of my schedule, because maybe of my bank balance at times, but knowing that you have called us to something specific, something unique. And as we are captivated by you, our King, we know, Jesus, that you draw us into your story, your story as the church, the living, breathing church of God that goes out from these four walls and ministers to your people.